song we could ever sing. Worthy of all praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever do. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever be. We live for you. We live for you.
Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is. We're glad that you're joining us for our online service. Uh, this morning is Sunday, October 25th. We're glad you're here. Uh, we are continuing in our series in the book of Psalms, and today we will be reading from the book of uh, chapter 37 in the book of Psalms, Psalm of David. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. The Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor and needy and to slaughter those whose way is upright. Their swords will enter their own hearts and their bows will be broken. The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. The Lord watches over the blameless all their days, and their inheritance will last forever. They will not be disgraced in times of adversity. They will be satisfied in days of hunger. But the wicked will perish, the Lord's enemies. Like the glory of the pastures, they will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious and giving. Those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land, and those cursed by him will be destroyed. A person's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed, because the Lord supports him with his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He is always generous, always lending, and his children are a blessing. Turn away from evil, do what is good, and settle permanently. For the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever, but the children of the wicked will be destroyed. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it permanently. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks what is just. The instruction of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. The wicked one lies in wait for the righteous and intends to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in the power of the wicked one or allow him to be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will watch when the wicked are destroyed. I have seen a wicked, violent person, well-rooted like a flourishing native tree. Then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but he could not be found. Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the person of peace will have a future, but transgressors will all be eliminated. 
The future of the wicked will be destroyed. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Psalm 37, one that is helpful for us because it speaks very much, I think, to a lot of what we are dealing with currently at this time. This is a psalm that is written by David, and therefore I think it's going to be important as we get ready to learn from this psalm this morning from David, our teacher, um, to, to know a little bit, particularly about this psalm and how it even fits in to David's life. Um, the first of all that we, we, we look at this psalm, we, we notice that it is actually found as an acrostic, much like Psalm 119 or Psalm 25. There are a number of psalms that take each letter of the Hebrew alphabet um, and then each one of the lines or the stanzas in this particular uh, chapter or in this particular psalm actually begin with that, which means um, there is some kind of poetic license that is being used um, as David is trying to express in a very creative and yet very passionate way the struggles that he is going through with this life as God's instruction continues to lead and to guide and to protect him. So this is a psalm of David, and therefore it is important for us to remember in, in totality David's life. There's a line in the psalm that actually says, I once was young, but now I am old. And so as a song of David, and now he is old, then we can place it sometime in David's life in which he is well seasoned. Let's think about some of the things that have happened in David's life. David was, uh, as a rather young boy, was set apart to be the king. And when the prophet Samuel came to his home and was told by God that he was going to anoint one of Jesse's sons, um, he did not know which one it was going to be. And, and Samuel, like all of us, was, was drawn to those that were, were, were big and strong, those that were, were older and therefore obviously the one chosen by God. But God points out that I, I don't look at people that way. God reminds his prophet Samuel that the way that a leader is going to be chosen, or I think in a bigger way, the way that God is genuinely pleased by His creation is not in the way that the world usually operates. There is something that is foundationally and fundamentally different about the one, the king, who has been chosen by God. And so Samuel selects David and then anoints him as king in front of his brothers and family, but he's still not king, an anointed king, but still not coronated as king. And so he is waiting for his time when that becomes public, which explains a little bit why it is at least interesting to see uh, King David, not yet king, but King David, um, in the council or in the presence of King Saul, who is incredibly tormented by the struggles that are going on in his own life. And David is going to sing to this tormented king, and when he does, it, it brings peace and it brings release. 
another encounter that we're going to have with this future king while he was young and before he is old. King David is going to be known as the one who stands up at a very critical juncture in Israel's history when their enemies, the Philistines, are lined up in opposition to God and his army. And no one, not King Saul, not any of his strongest and most brave men, would dare stand up uh, to, to battle Goliath. And I don't just think they were afraid for their own lives. Realize what was at stake. Should they fail, because the challenge went out, we will send out our, our best, you will send out your best, and whoever wins this battle one-on-one, the other nation will serve that, the nation that, 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 that wins. So I, I can imagine, I'm not just afraid to die. I, I would hate to have the weight of a nation completely on my shoulders. And David steps, steps up. And David, not yet king, defeats Goliath. And then David, um, after doing that, where it just seems like everything is lining up, David has to wait. And this is important to understand Psalm 37 that is repeatedly challenging. From the mouth of David, do not become agitated when evil seems to do well. Do not get worked up in yourself. Do not become angry. Uh, do not become discouraged when you see things that are unjust going on around you. Trust in God. And David had to do that. David had to do a lot of that. David found himself on the run from King Saul, the one that he would soothe, the one that he would comfort, the one that he would fight for. And yet David, at so many turns, found himself at, at, at almost the mercy of this tyrant king who is unjust, and uh, the Lord has abandoned him, and, and David has to wait. I, I think it's interesting, one of the most famous encounters is while King Saul goes into a cave to relieve himself. King David is hiding in that same cave, and David at that moment could have risen up and struck down the king. He's the anointed king, and, and yet he doesn't do it. He, he waits. He waits patiently. And it seems as though God rewards that. And so David is speaking with a profound amount of experience when he says repeatedly over and over and over again, verse 1, do not become agitated by evildoers, for they wither quickly like grass. I, I know that's a metaphor, David, because you had to wait days and weeks, and months, and years on the run for your life, waiting for God who once anointed you, who gave you victory over Goliath, who delivered Saul into your hands. And yet at these moments you decided, I'm not going to take vengeance into my own hands, but I'm going to trust this king, the anointed one of Israel. I'm going to trust God with him, this one that I don't understand why he's king. I don't understand why God isn't doing something, and yet I will wait and I will trust. That's Psalm 37. It's also important for us to realize that like a number of the Psalms, this one comes to us, and it sounds a lot like Proverbs, doesn't it? It, it describes uh, the way that is good and the way that is evil, and it challenges us to continue to, to walk in the way that is good and to trust that God is going to bring these things about. It makes some rather bold statements. It, it says things like, And I have never seen the children of a righteous man ever begging for bread. 
I don't know if that's exactly true. I'm sure that even by the nature of this psalm being both a poetic song to be sung is also providing uh, the nation of Israel and then now down to us some insight, some proverbial wisdom to be lived under, which is important for us to realize. Don't sit here and argue with every line of the psalm because these psalms, much like the book of Proverbs, are literally given to us not to describe everything in perfect timing, but to give us grand sweeping pictures about the goodness of God, about God needing to be pray, worthy to be praised, about us needing to give Him praise and honor. And, and then it speaks in very real and sometimes tragic terms. Indeed, the repeated phrase, do not be agitated by evildoers, is a good statement. Because that's what, that's what happens to those of us who love justice, who desire things that are right and good, who, who see that God is truly good and worthy of praise and His plan is right. So then what's going on with all of this brokenness in the world? And Psalm 37 comes and, and it addresses that in its totality. So let's remember David, somebody who understands injustice, and who waited upon the Lord, and who then eventually became king. And that did not mean he had to stop trusting or stop waiting. David is the one who writes this, and so he understands what he's writing. He understands the nature of what he's writing and the proverbial tone with which he is speaking. And he still speaks to us, challenging us and calling us to look at our life from God's perspective and then to wait and to trust. That's about the psalm. I think the second thing that we need to do is that we need to take a moment to just consider us. First of all, we live many, many, many years after Psalm 37 was written. It comes at a time in Israel's history when Israel is almost at its peak or at its zenith, but then between the time that Psalm 37 was written and today, there was definitely Israel's failure Israel's new captivity, so after they had been freed, even before this psalm was written from Egypt, they find themselves in exile again. Why? Because injustice was reigning in the land, and the wicked were choosing to follow their own paths instead of God. And so we actually see this psalm in many ways being lived out. The wicked um, not only began to prosper from the time of David to the time of the Babylonian captivity, the wicked would rise up and the wicked would begin to prosper, but it was so brief. And then all of a sudden God decides, no, I'm not going to be mocked and I will not put up with this any longer. So not only does David need to deal with the particular teachings of this psalm in his own life, but Israel needed to wrestle with it as a nation. Time and time again, they saw injustice, they saw wicked, they saw unrighteous people living ways that were in a disobedience against God and harmful to their fellow man. And yet God found himself time and time again, loving them, rebuking them, judging them, punishing them, and then restoring them. This cycle over and over and over again. 
And now it comes down to us. And what you and I have an opportunity to do today is to, to consider how this psalm now speaks to us. Now, I'm going to assume that as I speak to you in, uh, uh, through this particular uh, medium, uh, through uh, the online or on-demand services that we are providing during this time of COVID, um, that I would guess that the audience watching this is probably rather similar to the audience that gathers here, which means there are many different kinds of people who are hearing this psalm being learned today or being taught today. Um, there are those of us that are rather new in our faith, that are um, maybe even not yet uh, committing to Jesus Christ. And I think it's important that as we look at this psalm, that we recognize that the problems and the difficulties of life affect different people in different ways. And so I know that there are a number of people right now, and one of their biggest obstacles, one of the biggest struggles that they have is they look at the evil and the injustice in the world, and they just can't bear it. And for them, it actually is a barrier to them for faith. It keeps them from believing. When they look at the world and they see the brokenness, when they look at the injustice, it is so hard for them to believe that a good God would put up with a broken world. And then there are many of us who are not in the pre-faith stages or even in the newly birthed faith stages, but have actually been around for a number of years. Um, I, I would consider myself now in that category, Steve, a few years even beyond me, but I'm now in that category. And, and what's interesting, and, and maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll just honestly speak from my own heart this morning on this issue, the older I get, the more tired I can become when I look at the world and injustice, when I look at the world and the wicked when I look at the things that are happening around us in our very present, real dangers. And I just wonder, God, where are you? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why does it seem as though, I'll use the words of one of the Psalms, why do you stand so far off? Why do I cry to you? Why do so many other people cry to you? And it seems like nothing is happening. And so there are those that are early in their faith that find themselves um, more than agitated, more than frustrated. And then there are those of us who are maybe even seasoned, uh, maybe a little too seasoned. And again, we find ourselves rather frustrated, agitated, um, spiritually and even emotionally depressed, just wondering, is is this ever going to be put right? I think it's important that we look at this particular psalm and we not only recognize it in its original context, David writing, but now us listening. And you and I have an opportunity this morning as we gather to worship God, to reflect upon His goodness, to reflect upon our need for Him, and then to do so honestly, in a time in which the country in which we live in and many of the relationships that are so um, personal to us, that are so influential upon our thinking and upon our emotional and relational state where there is genuine tension. I have found myself, I don't, 
I don't want to watch the news. I don't need an update. I know what I'm going to see, and I don't need to get frustrated or depressed yet again. And Psalm 37 reaches in through history. It reaches in and it offers a biblical perspective about how I should look, even though my name is not David, how you and I should look, even though we are not Israel, into God's providential plan and purpose in the world. Well, enough about the psalm and enough about us, but let's look very particularly at at, at two questions this morning. The first one kind of that is is very clearly dealt with, and um, I'm I'm amazed at how just quickly David just approaches this and then moves on, but he he asks and answers this question, how should we respond to evil? How should we respond to evil? There are three verses where this just jumps straight out. Verse 1, verse 7, and verse 8. Verse 1, how should we respond to evil? David says, do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. So just like in a particular psalm, there's going to be two stanzas, and sometimes they contrast one another, and sometimes they build on one another. And this is one of those stanzas that actually builds upon it. So the first aspect that we actually see that David is addressing on how to respond to evil, number one, don't become agitated by it. Um, By the way, that's me. I I can easily become agitated. I can become worked up. Uh, Other translations have this word fret not or do not fret. It is describing um, a very natural and emotive, a very very powerful response when we actually see evildoers doing evil. And then what does it do? It, it works something up within us. We wonder, is someone going to stop this? Is someone going to do something? And when it seems like it's not happening, one of the first and most natural responses is to become agitated. But then David goes on, and also, do not envy those who do wrong, because there are those who are not necessarily agitated, but they begin to, with a certain degree of calculation, watch people who act in a certain way, and if nothing happens, you've done it. You're driving down the interstate, I-35, and you're headed to Dallas, and then all of a sudden, somebody passes by you. Has this ever happened to you? Somebody passes by you, and they're driving rather quickly, nothing crazy, but enough that you think, huh, I think I might just pick up the pace a little bit, and and since nobody seems to be stopping them, I don't know why anybody should be stopping me, and I've, I've driven enough across this country where I've seen a number, two, three, or four cars all speeding rather quickly. Why? Well, because nobody seems to be doing anything. I wish that only happened when we were driving. But this is what happens to us. When we individually and when we collectively see evildoers planning and succeeding, some of us get worked up and others wonder, well, if nobody's going to do anything about it and if they're going to get away with it, well, then I want to do it too. And David is saying, "Don't, don't be like that. 
Don't get worked up about it and don't follow after their path. And then he, right after verse one, he describes a number of reasons why. And it very sound, sounds very sim- similar to the, to the book of Proverbs because the perspective that these evildoers are living from is a perspective that is merely temporary, that is merely earthly. And you and I, as followers of, 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 of God and now followers of Jesus Christ, we look at it from a divine perspective. And so what might be a temporary time of success or there being no punishment or consequences, we know that the, that the sun will set. We, we know that the judgment will come. And so David says, they'll just wither away. I know that it looks like they're going to, to grow rather strong and rather quickly, but in the end, I want you to realize that, that it's only temporary. And so David describes the very nature of wickedness and unrighteousness and injustice as temporary. I, I know what you're thinking, but it just seems to go on and on and on. And yet, if I slow down and really consider it, there are so many times in human history when the most evil and the most vile and at times the most successful still get what's coming to them, still get what they deserve. I I wish it was as simple as it always happens and it always happens one week later. That's just not life. That's not what David experienced. That's not what Israel experienced. It's not what our Savior experienced. It's not what the church has experienced for the last 2,000 years. But by the way, the timing of all of this is left up to God. The question that you and I have is, how should we respond to evil? David says, don't plan. Don't plan to be like them because their day will come and don't get worked up about them. Notice how this continues on in verse 7. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. And and then it it moves one step further. Verse 8. Refrain from anger. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to the wicked. No, they, they can be angry and um, they'll be angry if it somehow serves their purposes, if it works out to be of benefit to them. No, David is speaking to those who are righteous, who are waiting. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. Third time, and it's only verse 8. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. And so David, time and time again, is going to lift up this picture of the righteous that God will protect, the righteous that God will provide for, the righteous that God will vindicate. Now, by the way, you might go, I don't see it as much as I would like to see it. Me too. But David says, but that's what's going to happen. And and then you have the wicked who can be successful and the wicked who can work and, and begin to prosper temporarily. And David is saying, for those of us who are righteous, who are willing to trust in God, in God's timing and in God's provision and protection, we, our responsibility is to wait. We are not going to be agitated. We are not going to follow after them. We are not going to become angry. And we are actually going to Give up our rage and wait upon God. Trust in Him to work these things out. And again, you just can't help but think, who wrote this? 
it really has been very um, encouraging for me as I've been preparing for this message to think about the number of times in which David had to put into practice what he wrote. It's not like David has no idea what he's talking about. And it's not like once everything started working, everything just kept on working. No, David's life is, like all of our lives, is up and down. The time in which David lived was not just one of waiting, and then as soon as everything began to happen, then everything began to roll. No, there were struggles that David continued to go through, sins that he caused and consequences that he had to live with, consequences of his own children who mistreated one another, um, who would rise up against him. And David found himself not only on the run from Saul, but on the run from his own son Absalom, who decided to rise up and to try to overthrow his father. Sometimes it's easier to sit and to cry out to God, God, I have this enemy who is trying to undo me. But David is speaking from one who knows from experience when that enemy is his own son, Absalom, who decides to rise up and take his throne from him. And David does what? He continues to wait patiently for the Lord. Believing this, that the instructions that God gives to me are more trustworthy and true than the life that I am experiencing right now. See, I think that's the hard part for you and I. The hard part for you and I is that we can so easily just pick up, pick up a paper. Yeah, like we have papers anymore. We pick up the, the paper out on the street and, and we read it. We, 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 just, we, we see what is going on in the world and it is literally story of injustice after story of injustice after story of injustice and it wears us down, and it wears us thin, and it makes us angry, and it works us up. A number of years ago, I had a friend of mine that was going through a, a rather difficult time, and uh, her husband even more so. And somebody asked her one day, how is your husband doing? And she said, basically, he does nothing more than sit at home watching a particular news channel, which shall remain unnamed at this time, watching a particular news channel which only supports all of his greatest fears. I think about that a lot. We look at the news and we read the news and it just is so discouraging. So what do we do during times like this? Psalm 37 injects itself, the Word of God injects itself into our life and just says, and do you need to hear this this morning? Like to not get worked up about the the brokenness that exists in the world. And, and by the way, please hear me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care. It is not asking for a disconnect. Sometimes this is where we make the mistake. I've been guilty of this. Is one of the ways that I handle the, the problems or the difficulties or the struggle is I literally just disconnect. It is not asking for disengagement. It is asking for a different kind of engagement. It is not saying close your eyes and just wait for a better tomorrow. It is actually saying open your eyes, but see them through eyes of faith. It is not saying act as though there is no injustice or there is no wicked and do not speak out against it. No, for those of us that see injustice, we need to speak out directly against it. 
racial injustice. We call it out. That racism is sin. When people are being mistreated or people are being denied justice because of their economic status or even their, um, like I was learning last week, their political status, it is important for those of us who know God to speak the truth about what God desires. And in the midst of that kind of engagement, I love how the psalm um, gives me a perspective that says, and as you're doing this, guard your heart. The, the Apostle Paul gives some very interesting instruction when he tells spiritual people who are disciplining people who are trapped in sin. He says, listen, I, I want you to be careful when you do that because something is happening. Something is, is at stake here. And it says that when there is a church discipline situation that is happening, those who are spiritual should go to them and restore them gently. And they should be careful lest they fall as well. And I'm reminded so many times that most likely what Paul is warning them against is not falling into that sin, but falling into pride. Yeah, I wouldn't sin like that. And there is a temptation that we have when we're speaking out against injustice. I've seen it in me, and I see it sometimes in others, where all of a sudden um, they get on a high horse and they begin to pontificate and to act as though um, they have it all figured out and everybody else is broken. And that kind of pride can usually lead to a self-righteousness and self-righteousness easily leads to anger and anger leads to rage. And we see it a lot right now. And, and I wish I could say, but what I'm describing only happens outside of the church. No, I've seen it happen quite a bit within the church. How do we know and deal with these kinds of difficulties and not get worked up? Well, here's the response. So the first one is, how do we respond to evil? Well, we don't get agitated. We don't plan after their ways. We give up rage. We give up anger. Now, how can we do that, though? That's the second question. How can we respond to evil like that? Like, David, how do you do that? And again, he says, by looking at things from God's perspective. I think that's why worship is so important for us because it injects God into the equation. You and I, when we're not in a regular time of, of worshiping God, of reflecting on the presence of God in the midst of our very difficult circumstances, we get reduced to looking at everything and feeling powerless from our circumstances. And God says, no, worship me, consider me, reflect upon me, trust in me. And so David says here, we're going to look at verses particularly 3 through seven. And this idea runs repeatedly throughout the rest of the psalm. How can we respond to evil like that? Well, David says, verse three, trust in the Lord and do what is good. Instead of planning because they're getting away with it, I trust in the Lord and I do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight, not in um, not in being evil, not getting away with evil, not even being frustrated that people who are evil are getting away with their evil, but take delight in the Lord and then he will give you your heart's desire. Notice that there is a sense in which it's not trust in the Lord and take delight in him and, and God will somehow uh, make everything work out. It's no, but by finding my delight in God, I trust in his plan and in his provision for me and now my delight is knowing that there is something that is right, that there is something that is happening in which 
under God's direction at the right time, things are going to, to be for my best purposes. He will give you your heart's desire. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. No oft, no, notice how often you get this formula. Trust in God and He will do. Trust in the Lord and He will act. Trust in God and follow. Do, do what is good and He will be the one who will um, bring things about. Making So commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him and He will act. Making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. So how do we do this? We do this by, again, even that, be very careful. I'm not saying that this silence is really calling us to be mute to injustice and to evildoers. That's not what it's saying, actually. But it's saying that in the big picture, what you and I do and what we can do by worshiping properly and together is that you and I can gain a perspective in which as we now engage a broken world, we do so not combating the world with eye for eye or tooth for tooth, but instead we we combat evil with righteousness. We don't return anger with anger, we return anger with patience. When we see evil, instead of becoming agitated, instead we wait patiently. We, we trust God's got this. God's got this. I think so many of us rush to speak sometimes or we rush to act because we genuinely believe. Think about this. How many times have you been so worked up about an injustice that you know about and you feel like you've just got to do something and one of the real reasons why is because you genuinely believe that if you don't do something, no one will. I guarantee you, even right now, there are many who are thinking to themselves, but Jim, what about... Yeah, I understand And yet this psalm really does challenge us to wait upon God and to believe that God is the one who will make sure that every wrong is righted and that everything that is broken will be mended and that everyone who is um, receiving injustice will be rewarded. See, that's what what you and I wrestle with. Will, Will God ever take care of this? Will God ever make this right? And the Bible says repeatedly, The answer to that is yes. You know, it's interesting that this idea about trusting in the Lord, taking delight in the Lord, committing our way to the Lord, being silent before the Lord, and waiting for Him to act is a repeated theme that we find not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New. I hear a lot of Christians, and myself included, talking a lot about, um, we use the phrase righteous indignation. It's good to be angry, and it's good to use that anger for good. In spite of the fact that James chapter 1, the brother of Jesus, writing almost a proverbial word, says this in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. By the way, James is writing to a group of people at this time who are being worn down by injustice. James says, understand this, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. It's like he knows Psalm 37, doesn't it? Look at verse 20. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. 
for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. That verse really corrects all my yeah, but. Because I think it does. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I confess to you, there have been so many times I have believed that my righteous indignation and what needs to be done, and it needs to be done now, I, I believe that I am, in fact, God's instrument, raining down his justice upon. And, and in the end, um, there have been many times in which I have been worked up and I have rushed to a judgment where later on I find out I didn't have all the information. I rushed to a judgment and then later on I find out, wow, well, if I would have known that, I would have handled it differently. James speaks to us from Psalm 37. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Verse 21, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What does James say? Don't be angry. Trust in the word of the Lord. Psalm 37. The Apostle Paul says something very similar in Ephesians chapter 4, right before he begins chapter 5 with this wonderful statement, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And he talks about this community of faith that is living and thriving, um, loving and forgiving one another and being salt and light in their world, not because they're battling fist for fist and eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but because they recognize that they are going to trust in God to be their vindicator. And so David says this, again, to a church that is struggling. Verse 31 of chapter 4, Let all bitterness and anger and wrath, shouting and slander, which, by the way, probably needs no more Facebook or Twitter. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath, shouting and slander, be removed from you, along with all malice. And then here's what he replaces it with, right? That's don't be agitated and don't be angry. Remove that, but then replace it with and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. So the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Well, that's David and that's James and that's Paul. Can I end this time with the words of Jesus? And I just want to ask you if you believe it. There was a phrase in this psalm that when I was reading it, I thought to myself, huh, isn't that what Jesus, at verse 11, but the humble will inherit the land and they will enjoy abundant prosperity. Here's how Jesus said it. And I'm just going to ask you, do you believe him? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Do you believe that? Sometimes. I should believe it more. I pray this morning that you and I will learn from David the psalmist 
but more so the Son of David, Jesus, who speaks for God Himself, who is God Himself, and He says, I know there is injustice happening all around you, and I know there is evil happening all around you. Do not get worked up. Trust in God. Trust also in me. We will make everything right. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way in which you work and the timing in which you work. And I do not understand why so many evil things have to exist for as long as they do. Father, it is hard to trust sometimes when we just see evil and injustice happening all around us. And yet your word tells us to trust you. Therefore, God, by your Spirit's empowerment, teach us to wait and to trust and to be merciful and kind in the process. We ask all of this for your glory's sake, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Stand off on you, Jesus, you're my hope and stay.
stand out from Jesus, you're my hope and stay.
We come to the time in our service where we gather together um, around the Lord's table. Um, I hope that you have your bread and cup ready to partake. In light of our psalm this morning, what a great picture it is. I was, in the sermon, I was describing the number of times in which King David had to wait patiently upon the Lord for his vindication. Um, and there is no one in the Bible that does it better because um, he's the only one that does it perfectly, is, is Jesus. There's a statement that Jesus quotes from Psalm 22. He begins, uh, does it on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a lot of people get wrapped up into whether or not that is a, um, a very honest and troublesome statement that Jesus is making on the cross. When you read that in its entirety, and we're going to be doing Psalm 22 in a couple of weeks What that psalm is about is about the servant of the Lord who finds himself circled by evil men, who find um, holes or a piercing in his hands and his feet, his, his clothes being divided, and yet he waits patiently for God to vindicate him. He could have saved himself, but instead he waits for God to save him. And you and I have a picture of that psalm through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, we know why God allowed Jesus to taste death, so that death would no longer have any power over us. We know why God did not rescue Jesus, but instead raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father so that all would glorify the Father because of the faithfulness of the Son. And that is what we celebrate today. God does work very, very unjust and difficult things for His glory. And we're holding the greatest truth of that in our hands. Let us take the bread and eat it together, remembering the sacrifice of Christ. And let us drink of the cup, remembering His sacrifice. God, we thank you for what Jesus has accomplished and the peace that we now have with you. In the name of your Holy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.